Football is back and so is the Ringer NFL show. Coming at you five days a week with wall-to-wall coverage from recapping the Sunday games, giving a player perspective, deep dives, and previewing the coming slate. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. He's back in Berlin. I am indeed back in Berlin. The Wanderer returns. Hello and welcome back to Stadio Podcast, New England RC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks, man. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm back in Berlin. I didn't think you were coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours delay on the train, got back here half past midnight, so far later than I anticipated. And the one moment of joy on the train home, I must say, is when I checked the temperature in Berlin. And luckily I had a very, very warm jacket. The temperature in Berlin was six degrees Celsius and the temperature in Calgary was warmer. And so (laughs) to my delight on a cold night, I was in a colder place than Canada. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to come for me. Just to to clarify, I didn't check the temperature in Berlin. I also travelled back to Berlin. I didn't check the temperature in Berlin and I didn't check the temperature in Canada because I don't want to get into that kind of business. It's not my vibe. I took took screenshots. I took screenshots. Listen, (laughs) listen, sometimes it may be warm, sometimes it may be cold. Indeed, absolutely. Sometimes it may be cold. But um, shout out to Martin with whom I stayed in his lovely family in Brussels and he lent me a jacket without which I would have been shivering all the way home and I'm not. So yeah, shout out to him. You should have packed more appropriately. I should have, but I did leave an entire season ago in fairness. I did leave in autumn and it is now winter. So, you know, it's all good. It's our 200th episode today. It is. Of Stadio. Not on the ringer, but of Stadio. It's a big deal. That's a lot of nonsense talking. But anyway, happy, happy, happy 200, mate. Thank you very much. Likewise, likewise. It feels like I've not seen you for ages, even though I spent most of last week with you. <laughs> That is true. I think I sat out of Berlin for such a long time. Yeah, you were. Did you have to bump the heating up because it was so yeah. cold? Colder than Canada. <laughs> both, <laughs> both heaters were on this morning, that's for sure. And the fleece. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, we've got a lot of admin to do before we Let's get going today. So first of all, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Obviously getting vaccinated if you can. Uh, COVID has gone wild in Germany. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, good yeah. grief. 
Other admin, as we mentioned, yes, our 200th episode today of Stadio. Uh, 100, I think it's 135th on the Ringer FC feed, but 200 in general. So we want to say massive thanks to everyone who has been listening either since the beginning or since we moved to the Ringer or even more recently. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And um, yeah, we hope, uh, we hope we can bring you many more I just say hours of escapism. It makes it sound more elegant. Hours of escapism. Yeah, for you maybe. <laughs> but let's do some other admin. Uh, you had a great piece go up on Javi last week on the Ringer, the Ringer.com oh, forward slash thank you, thank you. We didn't get a chance to plug it on the podcast because we only did Monday Stadio last week. That was because there were two episodes of Writer's House last week. One on Wednesday with you and Flo, which was great, I thought. Well done. Oh, thank you. Well done, gang. And then on Friday, there was a bonus one, which was a live podcast of you and I and Ian and Emma Hayes. Um, we did this live writer's house with Barclays for Women's Football Weekend. We recorded it and put it up as a podcast. Did it in London. It was, it was really fun. Quite nerve wracking though. I haven't, been, yeah. I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen that many people in person for a good couple of years. I think also because we also hadn't done a live podcast before. So you're like, is it going to be entertaining? People can get into it. You never know, right? You never know. Yeah. And it wasn't Stadio, so I couldn't completely control everything. the narrative. <laughs> 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 I felt like, I felt like a manager whose players had gone rogue. I was just exactly. like, no, no You're no. in the tunnel, they set fire to the tactics sheet. They're like, we're going to do it our own way. Twice. <laughs> that video and Pepper's in the middle of the dressing room dancing, trying to show tactics and ever just zoning out. Yeah, that was Felt me like that. coming up with my creative idea as a writer's house and everyone was just like, no, you're all right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's good. But anyway, yeah, that was really fun. And um, we also were there doing some other writer's house work, which we can tell you about in a minute. But first of all, writer's house this week, Carragher's joining us so to good. talk about defending. And I, I'm really interested to see, hear him and Wrighty go up against each other in terms of dissecting what it was like for elite defense, defenders and, uh, you know, elite strikers. And also we're going to talk about, because it's Liverpool-Arsenal this week. So we're going to talk about the games that they played, Liverpool-Arsenal games that they played and the rivalry and kind of their memories of that as well. We're going to save the international stuff for Thursday. All of the, those qualifiers will be wrapped up properly by then. Also in London, I think this is the first time we're breaking this. Next week on Wrighty's House will be a very, very special one as well because when we were there, we sat down with Arsene Wenger. It's actually so wild. <laughs> Sorry, just wild that even happened. Carry we on, went to the premiere of the Arsene Wenger Invincible documentary, which is an amazing documentary. It's really well done. Shouts to Gabriel Clark and all the team behind it. It's really well done. It's out, I think, now in selected cinemas and it's out on Blu-ray, DVD, etc. in a couple of weeks. Well, no, next week, actually. So next week's episode of Writer's House will be you and I and Ian talking about the documentary in part one, and then we'll have a chat with Arsene Wenger in the second part. So Emma Hayes, Jamie Carragher, Arsene Wenger, three in a row, Writer's House guests. Not bad. It's not bad. Good not times. Not bad at all. Other bits of admin, don't forget the Stadio number eight sweatshirts are still on sale for another couple of weeks. All the money raised will go to the Trussell Trust, supporting UK food banks and helping to eradicate food poverty. Stadio.football, scroll down to the bottom, sign up for our newsletter. It will go out this Wednesday. We didn't do one last week because, to be honest, it was quite frantic. But we will be back on that this week. Any other admin? 
Stanley Archer's playlist of Spotify. And if you listen to the podcast on an app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be super kind. I think that's everything. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about the WSL because it was Women's Football Weekend in England. We're going to touch on a, a big game in the Frauen Bundesliga. And then after that, because it's the 200th episode, we thought we'd do a what if. But we thought that instead of asking for what ifs, we'd do the showdown and ask each other a, a what if or two. So Musa and I have picked a couple of what ifs and we're going to go through those in part two of the show. So let's get on to the football after this. Let's do it. All right, Musa, the Barclays FAWSL on the weekend was pretty seismic, I think. The weekend started with the North London derby, which ended Spurs 1, Arsenal 1. Arsenal getting a late equaliser through Viv Miedema in the second minute of stoppage time at the end of the game after Spurs had taken the lead in the second half from Rachel Williams. Arsenal had loads of chances. They hit the bar, what, twice in that first half? Katie McCabe hit the bar. Beth Mead hit the bar. They missed a couple of sitters as well. In the context of the game, the goal felt like a real sucker punch and also the nature of it as well. It wasn't the kind of, it wasn't a concession of which you've been proud in a game of that quality, if that makes sense. Um, I think it's the nature of the concession maybe put them on the back foot a bit. They did well to come back, but I think the big headline is, it is the drop point, isn't it? And there is a thing about this league where there are teams that won't win the league that will take points off you and be decisive in the process. Mm. I just didn't have, put, I didn't necessarily have Spurs pegged as being a team that would do this, if that makes sense. If you think how they started the season, this, this league, the point is because Chelsea is so good, because Arsenal is so good, drop points at each stage are just decisive. Um, and I think we, we saw a big swing this weekend, I think. Before this weekend, none of the top three had even drawn a game this season. Right. Chelsea's only drop points were against Arsenal. So, as you say, like, yeah, drop points are absolutely crucial at this point in the season. And the, the only problem for Arsenal, I think, with this is that it now reduces their wiggle room. Yeah. When they play Chelsea again, that is potentially a title decider. Yeah. The good thing about this was that it was a proper North London derby. The way that Spurs went at Arsenal, they recorded a higher XG than anyone else in the league had against Arsenal this season. More than Chelsea, more than Man City. And I think for Spurs, that's super encouraging because they didn't really give Arsenal the respect that I think a lot of teams do or have done this season. They kind of went at them. They had chances as well. That's the thing. Yeah. Ashley Neville missed an absolute sitter to make it 2-0. Yeah. Keir Simon had that one volley from outside the box that went just wide. On the replay, that was so close. Zinsberger had to make a couple of absolute worldy saves as well. It really could have been worse for Arsenal. So I think in hindsight, Spurs have improved the season. And I think a point in the derby away from home Whilst, yeah, potentially very, very disappointing. I think it shows how, we were talking about this the with progress. Emma last week on the podcast about, yeah, the progress of those teams underneath top two, three, depending on what their form Can is. Can I throw saying. something in as well? This reminds me, do you remember like this, the 4-0? I think it was when Arsenal beat four nil, um, Spurs 4-0 last season, but it was actually 0-0 till I think about 70 minutes. Yeah. And that was a brilliant goal for breakthrough. It was almost like Spurs managed to maintain the intensity they found a way to take the intensity of the 70 minutes into the, the entire game. Um, because after that, they kind of like floodgates come. And I think maybe when you go a goal down against a team that traditionally has had the best of you, old insecurities return, you kind of like, you cave. But Spurs didn't cave. And maybe that resilience is the thing that's like, whatever they're doing, it's, it's working. Well, they're fourth in the league. They're no slouches. Yeah. But in terms of direct matchups, you know. That's a really good point for Spurs. 
these are the kind of levels I think that teams like Spurs or anyone from third down really if you look at the table this season because Brighton are third with Man City struggling they're in ninth we'll talk about mm. City in a bit but these, this is the this is the level that teams below those kind of the big guns need to be aiming for they need to be expecting to draw at least against the big big sides at home if they want to slowly progress up the league and I think the Spurs have been improving it's good to see the derby being a proper derby yeah, it's good for the league for sure it's not so great for Arsenal obviously but I think for the league as a whole it's a really really good sign although Arsenal had plenty of the ball could have had chances as well to win it you know Spurs really earned that point you know they had as many shots on goal as Arsenal did it wasn't really a smash and grab at all no no they're quite compact as well yeah they're quite compact as well yeah for sure Um, I think and also like you mentioned Brighton as well they got a great late winner and they've shown We've talked before, I think, on the podcast about like teams that kind of win the arm wrestle that have the extra bit of resilience late on. And their late winner was beautiful from Simons, but I think kind of put the put the cap on a really impressive start for them. You know, like we, we talked about the middle class and the WSL and it was Everton last year. And I think really Brighton are kind of taking that role this year, I think. Brighton are playing really well. Emma Hayes was full of praise for Brighton and the job that Hope Powell's doing over there. Like Emma said, like the investment that Brighton have made in their in the women's side of the club has is starting to to show, and it's again another example of what happens when you invest in the women's side of the club. It's not, it's not rocket science. I have a slight frustration actually about this. You hope Powell at, at Brighton. The slight frustration, like with Casey Stoney having left, because we talk about like the Premier League, like you know the, the men's Premier League being absolutely stacked in terms of the coaching. Mm. You just think of like how it would have been if Casey Stoney was still there. Just in terms of the depth of coaching, there were some great coaches in WSL, but that would just be another element of like, just absolute like tactical masterclasses each week. Yeah, I mean, Man United haven't really been able to repeat the form under that they had under Casey Stoney, but also I think that's coincided with various, departures. Yeah, that's coincided losses, with yeah. obviously highlighting various issues in terms of the situation in the women's side of the club. Yeah. But um, speaking of Manchester United, they drew one all with Everton. Elatoon had a lovely goal in this game. But again, like you were saying, Everton aren't the Everton of last season no. and Manchester United, that's a missed opportunity for them. But because of Man City's struggle this, struggles this season, that third Champions League spot is really up for grabs. And if people aren't careful, they're going to squander an opportunity to, to kind of nail that down, lock it down. Yeah, it's what happens when you get clubs in transition at all at the same time, mm. big clubs all at the same time. So like Everton went from being an underdog to a front runner and people come at you differently, they set up differently, right? They attack you differently. Mm. So everything changes. So, you know, if you start off like countering like Everton did, you can't do that against teams that sit off you. Obviously United fell away because they'd lost players to an extent we mentioned before, obviously Press and Tobin Heath, the headlines there. It's almost like this season is, is momentarily open for a power shift and someone has to leap into the breach at this point. Yeah. And I think it's, yeah. And this is why it's exciting for Brighton in particular, I think, because they can kind of climb up on the outside rail what they said, third in the league, obviously, really quite solid against leading teams. So yeah, let's see who can spring for it. Because also imagine Brighton, and this is very early in the day, so we can't even tempt fate at this point, but if Brighton did sneak in to the Champions League spot, what that does for investment, what that does for attracting players. So that, that's exciting for them. But yeah, obviously Hope Powell is a, is a massively experienced coach. This like, is she's thing, been around right? for a long, long time. And One to, of the greats. To get, Hiring a club job with good fun, uh, a club job with good funding, and a kind of like a, a scattered league in terms of who will be the next to emerge as a power within it. It's a massive opportunity for Brighton. 
before we talk about Man City Chelsea quickly, West Ham drew two over with Reading. Lisa Evans got her first goal for West Ham. Oh. And Anita Asante scored the winner quite early on, 25th minute for Villa, who won the, I think that's the first second City derby win for Villa in the, in the WSL. We love to see it. Villa up to sixth, just two points behind Manchester United. But that's what I mean. Villa, Villa are only five points off a Champions League spot. It's that, that middle is, you know what? That middle is looking really, really like, is it even a middle at this point? It's kind of a, a bulk. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that Man City are still on seven points just makes the league look super, super weird. So let's talk about that. They lost 4-0 at home to Chelsea. Not massively surprising, I don't think. No, it's not. It's they, not. They could, they could have really, really done without conceding such an early goal. Um, or, just, or such a, just poor, such a poor goal, quite frankly. They kind of did okay from that point on. Do you know what I mean? They, was they it had, Suzy, is it Susie Rack who said this? Yeah, I think it was Susie Rack who said, like, at some point, injuries is just like, they had 10 internationals out there. That's a really, really good point. Yeah, that is a really, yeah. You know, like, I think, in slight defence and mitigation, I don't know how many times they've changed the lineup this year. I couldn't tell you how many times that lineup has changed. But still, I mean, like, Walsh and Weir in midfield, they're not clowns. Was it Caroline Weir went through one-on-one for that chance at 1-0? And a good low save, and, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, those are the margins. And those are the margins that used to decide the games between Chelsea and Man City. Getting it back to one all before half-time. Would it have been any different, though? Because I just think Chelsea I, have too much. Like, Chelsea just I don't, have... I don't, I don't think it's any different. I don't think you can stop that running. Like the thing that Chelsea have really done, you know, we mentioned, we're talking to Emma about this, about the 3-4-3 and trying something a bit different. The way that that front three combines, you can swap in and swap out anyone and you get a pretty good outcome from it. And I think, I think, you know, I'm biased. I think the key to that is really sort of Frank Kirby because Frank Kirby gives something different to everyone else um, and she knits that front three together. But also like, the flexibility, like I, I look at Emma Hayes and she manages games. It's, like, it's actually, it's funny, like Tuchel and Emma Hayes manage game, games in phases, actually. If there's a, so you have GC on involved in the second goal, I think for Sam Kerr, who gets taken off. So she's not afraid to take off or rotate players who have integral roles in putting teams ahead. And that's a very, you know, Tuchel and Emma Hayes, actually, it's funny that different sides of the same coin in some respects, in terms of having managed matches. And she's constantly thinking, constantly finding solutions. So I think even if it was a one-all, I think Chelsea still had a couple of goals in reserve, actually. No, I, I just think that she outcoached City at all points of the game. And just, does that make sense? Like, I mean, Emma Hayes outcoaching Gareth Taylor. I mean, no disrespect to Gareth Taylor, but I just think Emma Hayes is a better coach. I think Emma Hayes would be able to find solutions faced with the problems that Manchester City have been faced with this season. They may not have been fluent Chelsea or they may not have been vintage Chelsea, but you know, Emma said something really interesting when, you know, she jokes about, oh, the reason we're good is because we've got the most money. But City have spent a lot of money and City have invested heavily in the infrastructure and the squad in the last however long. Even, like you say, even with injuries and stuff like that, you still have a pretty stacked squad there compared to the rest of the league. I just think if the roles had been reversed, like, I'm not sure if it would have been, if there would, if there would have been such a gulf. I agree, I agree. When I look at, look, let's just look at it. Like, it's pretty bold. If you start, she's got a midfield three of Angledale, Walsh and Weir against her. And she's starting with midfield two of Loopholes and GC on. That is not a robust midfield. Loopholes has got some grit, but you know, GC on is not a robust player. You're relying on fluidative movement, you know, very good possession and just 
dynamism, right? That is a gutsy way to play. That is a very much, especially away from home. And I know that City have been struggling, but it's still away from home at City. Like you are, you are inviting pressure, but they, they worked in and around them. They had greatly mm. flooded them with on-runners. And I just think that with on-rushing attackers, I, you know, I think City, they've got a lot to look at this year. And I don't think the surge that I expected from them was going to come. You know, you always think, oh, well, City will get it together at some point. I just, not sure it will come under this manager, actually. I just think that too many teams have had a good look at them. Mm. If that makes sense. I think they're going to have, they might have a stop-start season where they get a great result here, a great result there, and then like drop a point again. But I don't think they're going to go on a run, to be honest, at this point. I don't think it's happening. No, I don't either. I thought Chelsea's breakdown of goals and assists was really, really interesting. All the front, the front three each scored. Frank Kirby's goal, by the way, was absolutely lovely. That is um, like, can I say that goal in the build-up summarised the golfing class. If you look at the mm. speed of the ball movement across the goal and back and the way they worked it, they kept, it was almost like rugby, like recycling phases of ball. Unbelievable. And the finish itself, you're right. It, it is, it's one of the goals of the season actually in terms of technical execution. Yeah, it was lovely. Uh, yeah. Obviously Magdalene Eriksson got the other, but the assists coming from Guru Wright and Aaron Cuthbert on each flank, which I thought was really telling. I'd love to see that. The width that that, that three four three does give Chelsea when it works. I actually thought you were a little bit too kind to Emma Hayes about this the other day. About the, about the wide areas? About the 343. Three. <laughs> That's fine. She was sat right next to you. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fire some shots at her next time. You know, a lot of talk about personnel missing for City, but this is obviously, there was no, no Penelope harder for Chelsea. Very true, very true. And uh, they still managed to bag four away at Man City. They're a point behind Arsenal. I think the FA Cup final in December, will, which is obviously last year's FA Cup final, last season's FA Cup final. That FA Cup final, I think, is going to be quite a big impact on how the league plays out. Absolutely, absolutely. Because well. both, both teams getting another look at each other before the, the return fixture in the league, which could be a title decider, is very interesting. Well, it's funny because I was looking at actually in the, in the context of a different um, scenario. I was looking at how matchups between teams over the course of a season end up having a decisive say in where the title goes and where, and it, it really is, it is significant. Mm. And also I think in terms of balance of power and in terms of Arsenal's arc and Arsenal and this team winning something together, and that's quite exciting. So yeah. Uh, talking of title deciders, let's jump to Germany very, very quick before we take a break. Oh, wow. Yes, um, yes. Wolfsburg beating Bayern at Bayern 1-0 on Saturday, which meant that Wolfsburg are top of the Frauen Bundesliga. Because of Hoffenheim's win, they absolutely hammered Bayer Leverkusen 7-1. Hoffenheim are second. Bayern are now down to third. Level on points with Eintracht Frankfurt and Tabina Potsdam. They lost two of the last three, Bayern, as well. The top five in the Frauen Bundesliga separated by a point, which is amazing to see. The goal was... A little bit scrappy. But scrappy, but actually in Bayern's defence, I don't feel like they're to blame. Maybe there's any blame is losing is losing the initial header in the air, but Ruud's follow up, you can't you can't stop that really. I mean, Jill Ruud is just a I miss her at Arsenal, man. I mean Arsenal are doing okay, but I still miss Jill Ruud because she's amazing. A great signing for Wolfsburg and a real vindication for them going after her. She got the goal twenty minutes from the end, and Bayern actually were a good value in terms of pressure they applied. And it was at Bayern mm. too, you know, the crowd was absolutely mm. going for it because they knew this was a, a crucial one. But Wolfsburg just sneaking up on the outside rail. And I've got to say as well, Lena Oberdorf made a seamless transition from, from Essen to Wolfsburg 
it took it a little bit to get going, but I think that's understandable for such a young... I mean, you saw the same thing with Leia Schuller when Leia Schuller went to Bayern. Hotly tipped, coming through at a yeah. young age. They kind of, kind of come through 17, 18, and they're massively tipped. They start getting caps for Germany already. And there's this big focus. Like, Essen had this wave of players that would move on to other, other sides. Yeah. That's a lot of pressure to put on someone who, is, who was a teenager. Then the pop injury as well. So you don't get yeah. to play with a mentor. You don't get to play with a mentor. You have to go straight into exactly. it. Yeah. I think this season she's just gone up another level. Yeah. Also, it's, maybe it's tough in just general in Bayern because there is, their attack is stacked. Like the, the thing about this game was, mm. if it ever came a straight shootout, you'd fancy Bayern for this. And that's, mm. I don't say the disrespect for Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg, I think, the times I'm watching this year, their chance creation has been a little bit more laboured. Um, yeah, I mean, Bayern scored 28 goals in eight games. Right, right. So just, just, just watching the Wolfsburg build up is just, it, it's harder work for them. But yeah, fair play to them. This is an amazing result. Yeah. I mean, actually, the, probably the most impressive thing about the result is keeping a clean sheet against this Bayern yeah. side. Yeah. I think it's the first, first league game that Bayern haven't scored in this season. Oh, wow. So props to Wolfsburg. Definitely worth keeping an eye on the Frauen Bundesliga because that is a very, 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 very good league. Uh, let's take a break. Let's do some more ifs. Let's do it. All right, man, what if time? And we never do this. We've never done a what if without the involvement of our listeners. And do you know how we, we get to 200, li- 200 episodes and we're just like, nah, you're all right, mate. We're going to do our own what if. We can sort anyone, yep, yep. Well, we just thought we didn't want to do a big what if because we obviously wanted to cover Women's Football Weekend beforehand. So we just wanted to do a quick couple. I have a confession. My what if is actually like, because I was thinking, oh, well, what would I do? But actually... I did go and look back over them, the old questions, because I thought there would be some oh, that really? I had. Yeah, because I thought, i tell you why, because there was one. Well, Musa's just showing me up. There was a what if that I wanted, but I couldn't remember it. I remember years ago, there was one that I wanted to do and I'd never got around to doing it because it felt so significant at the time. And I thought, well, let me look back through the questions to see if it jogs my memory and see if it's one of the ones that I had wanted to do years ago. And it, I found one which was quite similar. Um, so I'll be using that one if that's okay. Well, go on then. Uh, let's do it. Let's do that so one first. So it's uh, Mitchell Cassidy. Actually, thank you for the memory jog because I think it was, what if Gerard actually moved the Chelsea to join Jose in 2006? <laughs> because I think football history is different if that happens. I think it's completely different. I think that is one of the pressure points. I think that season is one of the pressure points in European world and Premier League football. I think it just has, that transfer has so many implications because there are so many close games in the Premier League and in the Champions League and even in the World Cup that go differently if Gerald and Lampard play together for a full season under Jose, under peak Jose Mourinho. I think it changes everything. Okay, so he joined in 2006. So in the summer of 2006. So it's just actually, no, it would, it would be to, the summer of 2005 it would be because, no, 2006, yeah, some 2006. If he joins then, I think everything's different. Okay. I'll tell you why, okay, I'll tell you why I say this, because Chelsea go and they lose in the Champions League that year to Barcelona. But in midfield, they've got like, Lampard is the alpha in that midfield. They've got Gudjonsson in the mix. They've got Joe Cole. But Lampard and Gerrard as two eights ahead of Makélélé is a very different proposition. And I think that beats Barca because Barca at that point are still assembling the Death Star that wins in 06. And even in the league that year, they beat, um, they beat Arsenal that year. And that is a big match. Arsenal still, you know, 
they're kind of middling, they're surging and failing, but they're not they're not the Arsenal that we know, but they're still still get to the final year, the Champions League. But the real thing for this is what it does to the, it checks the advance of the next great Manchester United side. Because United win in 0607, but I don't think they win in 0607 if Lampard and Gerrard are fully established together for a year. And I also think it changes how how England's set up. Because if England see Lampard and Gerrard working well in the same midfield for Chelsea under Pete Mourinho, because I think England at that point were kind of in thrall a bit too much to their stars and what the stars were doing. Mourinho would have taken the Lampard-Gerrard conversation off the table because he saw a place for it. He was like, oh my God, that's going to work. So that might affect what jobs Mourinho gets later. It would certainly affect, I think, the England formation. So do you see what I mean? The ripple effects of this. And also don't forget, Ferguson is really struggling in 506. Now, I don't think that the Glazers get rid of him because we've seen how, frankly, we've seen how loyal the Glazers are to people. We've seen how loyal the Glazers are um, to people who support their financial model for United. So I don't think he gets sacked. I don't think that he gets the momentum in terms of the league titles that he wants to kick on. I don't think the, for example, 0708 double happens. I don't think the Champions League happens for them. I think that Chelsea go on a run of maybe three and five Premier League titles for the next five years. Does that make sense? I think I think it's absolutely huge. It's brutal, isn't it? It's brutal. I'm just trying to figure this out though, because so Chelsea were kind of playing what four three three at that time. Yeah, Essien had dropped. Essien was kind of playing centre back a lot at that time, right? He also played centre back in the yeah. FA Cup final with John Terry. Gerard will be replacing John Obi Mikel in that three. So you'd have a first choice midfield of Makaleli, Lampard, and Gerard, right? As the two eights. Mm. It's wild, Ryan. If that team is playing, that's your starting eleven every week for the next four years. That's your first choice starting eleven. That is. But when you have two quite ball dominant, but Lampard wasn't ball dominant in the right tactical setup. He could sit off. He played as a six if he had to. That's why I think it's so, it's brilliant. Like, that's what Mourinho must have seen. Lampard was the key because tactically he was so disciplined. You know, that, that midfield three was interesting because the eights were a bit staggered. One of them would be slightly advanced. You had like Thiago would, not, would sometimes tuck in as the middle of the three. So you'd have Makaleli sitting the deepest, Lampard slightly advanced, and Gerard the most advanced. That is, and I remember how bad it was because I'm still afraid of it. I was afraid of the concept of it. When it was being mooted at the time, 15 years ago, I was just like, that's going to end everything. I mean, they win it in 06 anyway. So, they've si- they've, so they're signing Steven Gerrard as champions. That's my point. It's the 06-07 that's interesting because Carrick goes to Manchester United and reconfigures the midfield and United become what they end up evolving into. The 06-07 United title win is absolutely pivotal because that checks Chelsea's advance. They're only six points ahead of Chelsea that season. That's what I'm saying. And that season was incredible. It was so tight the whole way. And the momentum is, the addition of Gerrard, I think at that point to strengthen, I think it shifts everything. I think, for example, here's a hot take. I don't know if the Pep era happens the way it happens. Um, Why? The late Iniesta victory, right? The late goal at Stamford Bridge in 08-09 that sends the whole thing in motion. I don't know if that, well, I think that the Champions League is different, but I think that Chelsea in a head-to-head with Gerrard starting 
against that Barcelona. I think that Chelsea team beats that Barcelona at that stage because that Barca team is still evolving throughout the tournament. Like they all say how the Iniesta goal gave them the breath of life. Mm. But that game was tight enough without Gerard in it. That's the thing I think that he gives, he gives them like another 10% in those vital games. So do you think Chelsea win in 08? I think they do actually. I mean, it goes to penalties without Gerard. I think they, I think they do. I think they do. And 08-09 is when the Iniesta thing happens. Right. So in theory, you could get a repeat of the, you could get a Manchester United-Chelsea final in 08 and 09. And they might split those finals. I'm not saying, but they might split them. But I'm saying that I think that Chelsea win and I think Chelsea beat Barca with that lineup. But, mm, oh, I don't know, you know. Think what Chelsea were and think what they'd have been adding Gerard to and that Gerard, that era. The only thing that I'm wondering with this is that I think there are... I wonder whether Gerard is the same player though, because I think so much of what made Gerard Gerard was Liverpool, captain, alpha, main man. When you go to Chelsea at that point, you give up a lot of that. You're going into a very, very new project that's been heavily funded. You move from somewhere where you're, you know, a, a club legend, a boyhood, you know, you know, came up through the youth team, all of that stuff, you know, Mr. Liverpool. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I, I see. I'm a little bit less convinced that Gerard is the same player because I think that Gerard is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but I think so much of that was being given the space to be that player in a setup. Like we've seen it before. How many times have you taken the main people from certain sides, put them into other big sides, big contexts, but where the dynamic is different and they kind of don't really have the thing that made them special. Mm. Technically and quality wise, you know, he's going to, he's going to be there, but I wonder whether some of that kind of, some of that drive goes. The reason why I think Gerard would have worked is because of his sheer desperation for titles. That, and also as, I think as well, because of the admiration with which he spoke of Mourinho and the Mourinho project and the way that everyone bought into it and the way that he saw other egos buying into it. Like, I think absolutely Gerald was playing hero ball. I think that's also because his ego kind of had to expand to fit the space. I don't think he wanted to be that guy. Like when he came in, I think he enjoyed being the kind of the understudy and learning from those above him, but he never had, you know, he never got the mentors. If you think about it, he never really got to be others to take responsibility. I think he took that because he had to, and then obviously like evolved into the superhero. But I think the thing about the Chelsea team was so incredible was you had superstars all sucking their egos up, like huge personalities. And everyone was like, wow, like and he would have seen that. He would have gone and seen John Terry and Frank Lampard, any of whom would be mm. like the alpha for different teams. He had Crespo up front. I mean, gosh, I think he would have just enjoyed having less of the onus because you saw mm. certain games where like you look at Manchester United when he got those two like bookings in like less than a minute and it was it was too much you know it was almost too much pressure and too much expectation so also I think that their games would have fitted together maybe I'm just like biased here but I think Lampard and Gerrard it was such an obvious fit for me in the middle in midfield three I'm not sure what it done for Paul Scholes for United for, for, for England but I think that I think could all have worked and imagine like if they'd seen that work, imagine the clamour for Mourinho to take the England job at some point because they would have been raving about him. You know, England, England players from like different camps absolutely rave about Mourinho's management. The FA might have gone for that. They might have gone for that over Capello, for example. 
Mm. He would have been a much more attractive candidate after doing what he did at Chelsea. Chelsea still did pretty well through that period, that four or five year period, if you think about it. I think they actually needed that, weirdly enough. You think? I think they, yeah, I think, they, I think they really needed that because it's the one thing, the season that United pipped them in 06, 07, I think Balak was really impressed with that year. They went in a bit of a run, but <clears throat> Balak actually had the Royal of the Rovers energy, right? But like, no disrespect to Balak, but I think he'd kind of, he'd already peaked by then. And Gerard basically was a, at that point in the trajectory, I think was a superior version of Balak. Not because Balak, not brilliant, but because Balak, I think, was physically in a sort of slight decline. Mm. Gerard gives you what Balak gave in 06, 07, but he gives you more of it and it's better. And Lampard was smart. Lampard, but I saw him in games, I saw him in seasons, actually, like for all his goal scoring, Lampard could sort of rein it in if he saw there was more ahead of him. He bought into that. So I think they would give him the keys to the midfield. Do you think they'd give Gerard the keys? I think so, yeah. I think so. Oh, see, I'm just not so convinced, mate, honestly. This, okay, so I'm going to break this down because I know I'm sounding super negative here and I don't mean to be, but I think no, positives... That's, 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 why, that's why it works. That's why it works. <laughs> Posit- <laughs> positives, Chelsea have the configuration to accommodate them better than England did, which is why I think the England argument of they couldn't play together doesn't work so well. I think Marino would have loved him. That's another plus, for sure. I think also you have a really, really strong bond with other England, another like key England players at the time, if you think, because in the cup final, Sean Wright Phillips playing, played right, Joe Cole played left, you know, and you also had John Terry behind as captain. So there's an England core there. Where you essentially have what? I mean, who was captain? Who was England captain at the time? David Beckham, right? Apart from Bex, you probably have the next three in command all within the same 11. But then I do, I think it's one of those, I think the seniority thing. So for example, you have Terry, you have Lampard, and then you have very much like, you know, Cole, Sean, all of that kind of stuff. You had a Gerard in there. And I, I just wonder whether that's a little bit too, that's too many chefs. Too many well, chefs, too many, I, many chefs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's what I'm thinking. So the, I think as an experiment, it's amazing. And I, was, I, wish we could, I wish we could have done it. I was afraid of it, but I wanted to see it. I think both Gerard and Lampard would have to slightly alter and compromise their games. And I think I'm just not entirely sure that Lampard and Gerard in 2006-07 would have. I think if but anyone can make how... them do it, if anyone can make them do it, it's Mourinho, that's the thing. If anyone can make them do it, that's the thing. It's, it's, that, it's that management element, if that makes sense, because he's shown and proven the model. Mm. It takes a very particular coach. I mean, I don't think that, for example, Ericsson, had the chops to convince them of that. But I think that Mourinho could have done that. That's that, because this is peak Mourinho we're talking about. Yeah, but bear in mind, he's only there one season. And then he's gone. Not after them. Not if, not if he, not if he gets them. If he gets them, he stays. But does he? Yes, of course he does. I'll put money on that. I'll put money on. Do you know I say this? All right. So how long do you think, how long do you think Jose's staying then? I think there's another three years, another three years after that. After 2007. So you think he's there till 2010? I think he stays till nine. Okay, no, I think he stays till 2009, I think. Simply because, as, Ryan, as, as Ian would say, as Ian would say, you set up the next great generation of Chelsea there. And there's also a Champions League run in the mix there as well. And you might not win it immediately, but you might win it in two of the next three. The Champions League is really important to Mourinho. So I don't think he leaves before he gets a Champions League. Okay. 
It's tasty. So, say know, he gets, know, so if he gets the Champions League in 2008, do you think he bounces after that Champions League or do you think he holds on another season? I think he bounces. Into vibes. Pete Mourinho is extremely good at knowing when not to overstay his welcome. Okay, so he bounces in 2008 after the Champions League. And then tries to take Lampard with him because he sees Lampard as... He tries to take Lampard and Drogba, which he always tries. Oh, That's come, on, <laughs> come on. No, it's true. Yeah, you can't... <laughs> it's a what if. All right. But the, the thing is then, in terms of the actual outside of Chelsea specifically, not a lot happens because he still goes to Inter in 2008. Yeah, but it affects, but Chelsea's dominance affects what happens in the Champions League and it affects other people's dynasties being formed. That's the thing. It's the knock-on. Like it has a knock-on effect for the England formation and a knock-on effect for the Champions League. Because Chelsea don't, they don't have a dip at all. They don't have a dip in the league, in the Champions League. They're the big beast. And the thing that's funny about it, it's a weird thing. So I actually was looking about this and I was like, oh, like, was it really that close? And I found an entire essay on the Chelsea FC website about this, about the apparent move. And like, I was like, wow. Well, this yeah, is Gerard like, wanted to go. He wanted to go. Yeah, but no, like, he, no but, like, yeah. but, the, but, the, but the essay is kind of like salty. Like it talks about like Gerard's own goal in the League Cup final. I was like, wow, like this is a real... This is a sore point. I mean, to be fair, they're, they're, like, <laughs> no disrespect to Chelsea, any Chelsea fans, but there is some extremely salty stuff on the Chelsea website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that really is. But you know, it was, it was just, it was just funny that like, you know, Mourinho to the, to the end was like, Gerard never actually said no to us. His people did, but I don't think it was a no from him. I think it's a move that he would have been desperate to make work. And to be honest as well, bear in mind, if he'd made that move, the hostility would have been so great from the fan base that he'd left. He'd have had to make it work. He'd have had to make it work. There's no way back. The thing about joining Chelsea at that point and what they were building with the money and everything, Ryan, it kind of makes you almost like you have to buy into the siege mentality. You have to go full, like not that he would have gone full supervillain. That wasn't his energy. I think he would have been, I think Stephen Gerrard would have been with all respect to him. I think he would have been muted celebration until the end of time. I think he would have been like, you know, 30-yard screamer in front of the cop and whatever. But I think he'd have to buy into it. Hmm. Think about that, the siege mentality. They never cared about you, Stephen. Mourinho dripping poison in his ear. <laughs> imagine the press conferences. Just imagine the press conferences from Mourinho. You'd love to see it. However it works out, you'd love to see it. Oh, I see. I'm just, oh. <laughs> That's the thing. Even if it, even if it was, even if it was flaming garbage, even if it was a trash fire, oh, it would have been like pure popcorn. <laughs> oh man, I see. Ah, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 don't know what about that doesn't make me go all in on this is nine straight Champions Leagues. Nine straight Champions Leagues. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's something about that dynamic Ke- that just chemistry. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think it, I think it could, you would, I think you'd get probably quite a big glow for a couple of years, but I think that the, the list of those managers that came after Mourinho, I think so much of it depends on Mourinho for that dynamic to work. The way they turned over managers over those next few years. And it's not like they never won anything. They were always there and thereabouts. And then obviously they won the Champions League a few years later after getting rid of ABB. But look how good that core was long after he left. That's the thing. It wasn't just... Yeah. The, the, the Mourinho core was incredible. The echo of it was so good that when he came back, almost it felt like... It's so strange. When Mourinho came back the second time, it still felt like a Mourinho team. 
that was the weird thing about it. Like, even though he'd been away for like ages, the ethos, the energy, the aura around Chelsea still felt like he just slipped back into the groove. It wasn't like it felt like, for example, a hitting team or whatever. Or it felt like a, a Mourinho team. It's so strange mm. in that sense. So I think that the thing that he was brilliant at was creating structures that kind of, the Chelsea team didn't coach itself. I'm not saying that. No team coaches itself fully, but in terms of what he instilled in them, mm. I mean, you can argue that John Terry remained a Mourinho player until he retired, like in terms of his, his setup, his aura, his energy, Lampard, certainly. Like Lampard, basically, you know, we saw it. The Ranieri, the shift from Ranieri Lampard to Mourinho Lampard was mind-blowing. I saw Lampard play when Ranieri, Ranieri was there. And I saw my Mourinho and the difference is astonishing. And Lampard turned into a Mourinho manager as well. He was just like, <laughs> that's, one, that's one for the players, that. <laughs> You're on your own there, lads. <laughs> you know what does happen? If Gerard goes to Chelsea and stays there until he either retires or goes to LA Galaxy, he does one year at Rangers and then Chelsea hire him in 2019. Oh, that. <laughs> we needed a bombshell. We need a bombshell. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> I'll take that. Okay, so my scorcher on that is that Steven Gerrard joins Chelsea as manager in 2019, right? Chelsea fans wouldn't know any, any different because my what if is in 2018, the rumours were that Arsenal had made contact with Thomas Tuchel over replacing Arsene Wenger. Oh, why? Oh. Oh. Tuchel was interested. However, Wenger was under contract, remember? Tuchel agreed to join PSG in the summer of 2018. And a few weeks later, Wenger decided to stand down. So my what if is what happens Thomas Tuchel goes to Arsenal after Arsene Wenger in 2018. Oh my God. I've thought about this many <laughs> times. Carry on. No, Carry on. You, you, you go because you're what if. I have thoughts. I have thoughts the capital T. Go for it. It's my what if. I'm asking you. Do you know what's heartbreaking about this? It doesn't work out because they don't give him the money. They don't give him the investment and they play astonishing football in certain phases and they go on like they go on they put together like three four game sequences of spellbinding football and they don't get the investment and took a walks and it's so frustrating and it's maybe the most arsenal thing that could happen in terms of people fall in love with what this team does he develops players beautifully Tierney Saka he brings players from the youth team we haven't seen yet Players come out of Germany because they want to play under Tuchel. They see what he's done with PSG and see what he's done. And he's absolutely brilliant. And it becomes, it's almost like a potch situation where they greatly improve the quality of the league, but don't have the results to show for it because they just won't invest in him. I can, this is what, and I thought, and and I feel sick saying this, Ryan, because I've thought about this. I've thought about Tuchel at Arsenal and just thought they won't support him. Like, you know, like when Obama got elected, I was just like, they're not going to, they're not going to allow this man to like push through his policy. He won't get the support. He won't get the votes. Like Tuchel doesn't get the votes. Does that make sense? I mean, he took over at Chelsea without any investment and he had to get, and he won the European Cup. 
but Chelsea are spenders. The spending, that's my point. That's, that's exactly my point. Chelsea had spent big, right? But at the end of the 2018-19 season, Arsenal spend over 130 million quid. So they're spending. Arsenal have spent over the last few years. It's, it's, it's a myth that they haven't. They have, they have, they have. And they spent a lot. But I mean, in 2018, they weren't doing that 2018. This is almost this. They, and they, they, took a lot, they took a lot of heat in the last three years. And that's why I think they finally opened the purse strings. No, no, no. 2018, sorry to butt in. 2018, they signed Stefan Lechsteiner for a free, Burnt Leno for 22.5 million, Socrates, 15 million, Lucas Torreira for 27 million, Guendouzi for eight. And those were the major signings. That's what I mean. It was lowballing. I think they opened the purses. Do you, do you remember there was a massive thing I asked about them not spending enough and Kroenke eventually came round. But there was an event that triggered it because people were going Arsenal underspending because they are. That's still underspending in 2018. That's not, that is not the investment that a squad needs to keep pace. There's a sense they were kind of, they were lowballing. Does that make sense? And I don't think Tuchel hangs around for long enough for them to go actually we've been trying to keep afloat. We've been trying to kind of this, and this is, and I said this before on the podcast, I hope it doesn't contradict what I've said, but they spent well this summer. And I've said that I've maintained that I really like this. When I think, I think I might've even said in the podcast, that's more like it, Arsenal. It's much more like it. But I don't think that the Arsenal we're seeing now was the Arsenal spending 2018. Sorry to be that guy. Five seasons up to 1920. Chelsea's net spend 133.2 million. Arsenal's net spend is 249. Per season, Arsenal's is almost double. Put it this way, I think Arsenal are back in the Champions League. I agree. I completely agree. They might have fallen out of it already, but they might have been back in it again. Yeah, yeah. Tuchel coming in as he did. Before, this is, remember, he doesn't go to PSG. Yeah. So this is peak Dortmund. Peak, yeah, yeah. Tuchel. It's Everyone amazing. wants him. He goes to Arsenal. He comes in. He is going to be like mega full of respect for Arsene Wenger. He's not going to come in and be like, fuck this, we're a mess. He's going to be really, really, really on it from a communication point of view, but also from an intensity point of view. He's going to have players that he worked with at Dortmund. Remember, this is the guy who absolutely turbocharged Mkhitaryan and This is exactly it. Yeah, that signing would work. Yeah, he's, yeah, got would so work. he's got Socrates. I think players like Lucas Torreira just come alive under Tuchel yeah, because without question. they thrive yep. in systems. I think Granit Xhaka probably becomes a massive leader under Thomas Tuchel because he's seen it work he in, thrives in systems. Yeah, and right? he's seen him work in Gladbach. He's seen his work up close. Tierney comes in, I think, uh, the following year. Tuchel loves Tierney, yep. I think. But think about it. Arsenal missed out on Champions League football by a point in 2018-19. A point. Tuchel yeah. gets you over the line. I think, if you look, Chelsea were two points ahead of Arsenal that season. To be honest, I think Arsenal finished third that year under Tuchel because it was so close. And Arsenal are back in the Champions League. The money that that generates, you have Tuchel, you have Champions League, and you have the money that that brings in, and you're third in the league. That works. I can see that. I think, like I said, I think Tuchel's unbelievable. They have to invest in squad depth. That's the thing. They have to invest in squad depth and a couple of marquee signings. I think the investment side of it isn't really an issue. I think they do it anyway, but they're all, because they're back in the Champions League. Remember, a lot of that investment came from not securing Champions League football. So they're back in the Champions League. So therefore they've got more money to invest. So the investment thing I think happens. How long do you think he hangs around? I mean, he's still there, it's 2021, yeah, the, so it's three right, years, so the, he's the, still there. Yeah, yeah, the one thing with Tuchel is, isn't it? It's like the, 
if he gets unwell, oh my God, and the Mislintat thing, that's interesting. Ah, that's, no, that, that's, that's the only thing, that's the thing I'm worried about actually. But the difference being, I think at Arsenal, Mislintat's not on the bench. So it's a different thing. Remember he leaves anyway that season. He's at Stuttgart in April. Does he leave if he knows that Tickle's on the way? I mean, it's, that's the only yeah. thing. I think it's probably not as much of an issue as we would think because if Tuchel arrives in 2018... And he's gone, yeah. Whether he might stay. If he stays, I think it's a good thing for Arsenal. If he leaves, then it doesn't really change. It doesn't create friction between them if they, they aren't cool. That is a huge miss for Arsenal. Do you know what's frustrating about this? <laughs> we talked about this maybe, I don't know if we talked about the time, you and, um, but I talked with friends about this and it's like the botched succession... In the long run, it might be fine. I think in the short term, Tuchel's the difference between Champions League and not. No, but I then agree. you never. But then, but then playing devil's advocate, you never know whether issues then get the, the issues that really, really need to be resolved at Arsenal and the strategy that really, really needed to be refined gets refined. Mm, because it's almost a sticking plaster. Exactly. Maybe the turnover at board level doesn't happen. The streamlining doesn't happen. The emergence of youth doesn't happen. Sometimes you need to bottom out to improve, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So while there are plus sides in the short term for Tuchel coming in at Arsenal, I went, oh my God, wouldn't it have been amazing to have Thomas Tuchel as, a, as the coach of the club that you support, for sure. You never know. I mean, this is massively fence-sitting, but I think in terms of where Arsenal could potentially go, it could be a lot more harmonious in the long term. It would have been mega fun in the short term. And also seeing Tuckle in some super tight Adidas tracksuit with a cap on, <laughs> going full, you know, club shot. Cycling kit vibes, yeah, yeah. Actually, I think this is interesting. I think if Tuckle goes to Arsenal, he doesn't, I don't think he adopts full club shot. Cycling gear. Get up. No, I don't think he does. I think he leans a little bit into smart casual. I think you get Champions League Tuckle every day of the week. That's a great shot because you consider that he's going from Wenger to. You can't go straight from suit and tie to, yeah, that's a good shout actually. Because he would have been so respectful of the Wenger legacy. And these are the kinds of details that he would have been. If you go straight to tracks, you're almost being iconoclastic. You're almost saying, let's tear down the old icons. Like Tuckle Pep Club, I think they massively respect legacy managers. Yes. Massively. Which is why they're so good. Yeah. I think it was hard for Unai Emery, even though he really respected Wenger. I think it was just, it was a hard situation for Emery, I think. I think Tuckle comes into that a lot more with a lot more, um, I think a lot more authority actually. But yeah, I think that's probably, I don't know. Anything else you want to do for that? I mean, no, I love it. Do Chelsea, I love it. Look, does, does Gerard win Chelsea the Champions League last season? Here's a take. Here's a take. Wow. 2018-19, Tuchel takes Arsenal back into the Champions League. 2019-20. Oh no, say it. You have to say it. No, you have to say it. You say it. No, go on. Don't. I'm always going to get the top of my takes. You, you say they're it. They're going to cook you me. It. You say it. Say it. I don't want to be cooked like you and Ryan. Say it. Say it. Say it. Go on. Say it, Ryan. I mean, who wins the Champions League in 2020? Bayern. Say it then. Oh my God, you're not... <laughs> Uh, Arsenal win the Champions League in 2020. There you go. 
<laughs> oh my god, Musa! I can't believe you'd come out with such a take. Oh my god, what is wrong oh no, with you? Oh no, oh no, he's done again. Oh no, oh no, everyone go and cook him. <laughs> no, Arsenal don't win the Champions League. I can't believe you'd come out with such nonsense, Musa. What someone, had say, someone had to oh say. Someone had to say. Oh my it. god, can someone come and get Musa because he's he's clearly lost the plot. I can't believe you'd even <laughs> suggest such a thing. This is outrageous, Musa, that you did. You suggest it's such the heating a thing. on my flats. The heating on my flats contributed to the Good takes. Grief. Oh, I can't believe I'm, I've managed. I'm, it's 200, 200th episode. I'm still putting up with this absolutely scandalous nuclear <laughs> takes. You knew what this was. I didn't. I, I would never have entertained such an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. So currently in our what if, both what ifs, if Gerard had gone to Chelsea in 2006 and Tuchel had gone to Arsenal in 2018, Gerard would be managing Chelsea right now and Tuchel would be managing Arsenal still. So there you go. That works for me. I can see that. We all lived happily ever after. I or mean, did, did we? we? Did, did we, yeah. <laughs> all right, we should do a proper what if soon. Let's do it. I don't like picking the what ifs. It's too much responsibility. <laughs> I enjoyed I really enjoyed them, to be honest. Yeah, no, I really you enjoyed. do. Shall we roll? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's rock and roll. Don't forget, write his house on Wednesday with Jamie Carragher. Sally will be back on Thursday. Uh, don't forget to check theringer.com forward slash soccer. Uh, check stadio.football. Scroll to the bottom. Sign up for our newsletter. Next one will be out on Wednesday. Um, Stadio Watchers players on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on a classic. Charlotte. I'm in love. Any other admin? Anything? And is that it? Is that everything? That is all from me. Nothing further. Nice. In that case, I'm going to get Rita out of here before he says something silly like Arsenal would win the Champions League at the top. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Get a load of this guy. <laughs> uh, much love, everyone. Stay safe and well, and we will be back on Thursday. Catch you then. Imagine.